welcome to episode 71 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Six months after lockdown hit the UK in a meaningful way, the push is now on to get people back into the physical workplace. In this episode, we look at why this return to the office might be a source of anxiety for some employees, and why some of the commentary about back to work has been very unhelpful and inaccurate. Show notes for this and all our episodes can be found at worklifepsych.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Pilar, great to be back with you. How are you doing today? I am very well. Lovely to be back. Although I was back in the previous episode, wasn't it? Yes, I was. <laughs> but mm, back closer this time around. Oh, yes, I am. I am now back in uh, in London. So, yeah, lovely, lovely to be here. And I have to say, I'm going to say this straight away before we go into today's episode, that I listened back to episode 69, which you did on your own. And uh, I loved it, Richard. <laughs> and also I was like, oh, this is so like, so, so. So much what you would expect from a coaching experience is something that was nice and uh, relaxed and <laughs> it enveloped me. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's could you put that in iTunes feedback, please? <laughs> yes. um, does that mean I would be allowed to do that again by myself? Can I, no. can I be let out? <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought, I thought he sounds a lot more relaxed when he's not with me. <laughs> that's so strange. I, th I find it's much easier to do podcasts with anybody when there's a conversation. Yeah. I, and I think I prefer listening to podcasts that are a conversation. So yeah, the, I, listeners, that will be the exception, not the rule from now on. <laughs> so, so don't yeah. worry. And listeners, if you haven't listened to that episode, do, do give it a, do give it a listen. It, I think it's really great at wrapping up the conversation around coaching and also really turning Richard, the responsibility onto the coachee for make the most out of the, out of the process. That's the idea, really, um, to be open and honest about the work required, but also to think about the multiple wins you can get from coaching, because you can take those skills, you can take that insight and carry them forward with you into the rest of your life. Um, but it's useful to think about that at the beginning yeah. and not wait till the very end. So yeah, episode 69, if you're interested in that, and that was the third part of our three-part look at coaching. But today we're going to sort of move on from last time round where we were looking at some of the micro frustrations. Um, and I've been using that phrase liberally <laughs> since the last conversation, the micro frustrations that we can experience when we're working in our own home, when it's not set up for um, working permanently or anything like that. Um, I had a, if you haven't heard it, I had a great conversation uh, with Professor Carrie Cooper, and we talked about some, although we didn't have time to talk about all the potential uh, micro frustrations that exist, but we did, we did talk about uh, uh, the physical environment, the noise that we can experience, their interruptions, the use of technology and so on, and, and skirted around a little bit, though, Pilar, you and I picked up on a, some of the cultural aspects when you're working um, in a, an asynchronous uh, way, but in a distributed way, when you're not physically with your colleagues, it requires different things of you, doesn't it? Yes, it does. A lot more proactive communication, mainly. Mm. And it's very easy to do the opposite of that. Yes. Because your mind can give you so many thoughts and images about potentially bothering people or how will you look if you just 
you know, proactively ask questions. Will you be annoying people? Is everyone busier than you? Uh, is everyone being more productive than you? It's very easy for all that stuff to appear. And you end up maybe isolating yourself from the people that it's really advantageous to keep in touch with. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to continue that conversation today, but reflecting what's going on in the UK at the moment, and we're now the 7th of September when recording, this theme of, all right, well, I get it out on the table now, this theme of going back to work, although for so many of us, we have been working all this time. Um, I think what commentators might do well to do is focus on terminology and talk about going back to the workplace. Uh, what, what's talked about a lot is going back to the office. But of course, as we know, not everyone is based in some kind of office environment for work. So going back to the workplace, physically going back to the workplace is a big theme at the moment. And there's an awful lot of content, shall we say, on the airwaves and online about this particular topic. And I think it's very emotive, but also looking forward a little bit. Well, what will that mean for people on more of an ongoing basis? Because in the short term, not every single person is going to go back to their workplace. They might be swapping out with their colleagues. It might be on a, a rotational basis. So what does that mean for the workplace, the workplace of the future, maybe? But maybe let's let's start a little closer to home, um, because it has been six months since we, we started this experience here in, in the UK. And for some people, they're getting used to that now. And now we're talking about changing it again, which can be quite mm, disruptive. I mean, Pilar, imagine if you were told now, change everything you're doing and, and start coming back into an office. It, it might necessarily feel like the relief that, that some people think it does. Yeah, because there's a lot of things involved in that. Uh, I think you'll touch on this later. One of the articles talks about the commute, if we have a commute. Uh, I've seen a lot. I live uh, close to a main road. The traffic is incredible, uh, but the buses are half full only, although they have signs that they're full, but they only have they're at half capacity. Mm -hmm. The tubes are quite empty. So I think that that is something is the fact that many people will have got used to not having to go anywhere to do their work and therefore mitigating those risks if they're concerned about that. And also, I'm, I keep thinking about the whole, it's not going to be what it was. And it, like you said, it's going to require some adaptation to, well, are we going to be wearing masks in the workplace? Uh, uh, maintaining a physical distance between us will affect, will that affect our relationships? It's, you really, I think it's, it's another big change. And a series of changes um, because as we try new things and they will be new things it won't be a return to how things were in 2019 as we try new things we'll maybe realize that some work better than others there was an article i i came across uh, previously um from wired and they 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 spoke about the experience in france because more people um uh, what they describe as white collar workers more have returned to the office and i just wanted to share a quote because i think it's quite illustrative of what we could see happening. So they say in France, where 83% of white collar workers have returned to the office compared to 34% in the UK, workplaces have become transmission hotspots. Data from Santé Publique France found that one in four clusters of infection between May and August, excluding those that occurred in healthcare facilities, happened at work. 
the risk was deemed great enough for the French government to mandate masks in offices. Now, I, I don't want to make anyone feel fearful or anxious, but this is real data happening, you know, in, in international terms, just down the street. <laughs> and, and because things moved faster there, we can maybe learn some lessons. And it might mean that some workplaces, people say, well, we'll we will use masks. And just that visible and that physical change will mean that there's, there's not a return to how things were. It's moving forward and adapting to more changes coming our way. And to be honest, with a lot of the people I'm working with right now, they're sick of change. Mm. <laughs> you know, they'd like a bit of stability. And because there has been so much change this year and so much disruption that they're really not looking forward to more of this. So I would just like to make a distinction between the logistics, um, the organizational focus of continuity and security and the individual experience of going through more change and the risks that come with those changes. And I think you can discuss both. They don't cancel each other out. But I have to admit, I've been very frustrated by some of the commentary, which is alluded to people being somehow lazy because they don't want to go back to the shared physical workplace. I don't know. Is, is that just me, Pilar? Have, have you seen any of that? Do you feel the same way? Uh, I think that, uh, I think that there's a, there's a big opportunity being missed. Uh, and it's the word option. It's, uh, we've, we've tried a different way of working. And now it'll be great if people who are really missing the office space in particular, for whatever reason, there are many reasons why some people can't work at home or don't want to work at home. Um, then that is a great option to prepare, although we know that it's not going to be the same, etc. But to, to force, to continue to think that there is one way and the best way is what we had before. One is unrealistic, because as you said, it's not going to be like that. And two is really missed opportunity to help people um, be more comfortable. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if we think about maybe evaluating someone's experience of working at home, um, we could really come away with a false impression of them as a professional. Because, of course, they weren't given everything they needed to be their best selves at work when working at home. And we've discussed this quite a bit already. It was a global pandemic. It was a rushed change. They mightn't have had all the equipment they needed. They were sharing the space. All of the, the micro frustrations we discussed last time. So I would, I would hate if people's um, access to flexibility was somehow dependent on how superb they'd been during a global pandemic, when, uh, in fact, yeah. if this had been introduced in a very different way, people might have really, really excelled. And it could have been the excellent win-win that we know it can be in many circumstances. Yeah, I've come across some uh, like uh, comment on how, working from home, how what it's done to maybe creativity or innovation. And I'm thinking, well, <laughs> the first two months, uh, UK talking about the UK, we could only go out for one week, uh, one hour a day to exercise. That is not very conducive to creativity a lot of the time. No. Then we had, oh, we're going out. Oh, is, this is risky. That's again a lot of fear. Then we had the summer. Uh, and uh, and now we have something new, which is people returning from the summer. We have the schools opening and all of that. So I think it is really important that we 
that everyone understands that, then that people making decisions or encouraging certain behaviors understand that this is not being a working from home or remote work um, experiment. It's been, there's been a lot mm. that's gone around it. And maybe even now that, okay, the people who want to work from home probably have set up and they, they know now, maybe now is the time to give that way of working a chance because now everything has settled a little bit. Um, I imagine, I don't have children, but people with children, if the children are going to school, then this is a different way of working. Mm-hmm. That might be a discovery there. At the same time, there might be people who really need to just leave the house, but also co-working spaces will, are starting to open. So again, there's this a lot. I don't know. It's an opportunity to change a lot of stuff. I, I agree. There's some great opportunities there. I hope it's not missed, as you say, and I hope it doesn't get lost in a kind of an all or nothing debate about we're either back in the workplace or we're not, where a lot of the noise is about get people back into the workplace. Um, I came across uh, an article from Corn Ferry the other day. Uh, they did a, a, a small survey, what was it, a thousand people um, this month, um, about what they were looking forward to when they returned to the office. And 20% of them said nothing. So I think this period, uh, while disruptive and uncomfortable and worrying and maybe very difficult for some people, has also given them pause for thought about what their working life was like up to now. And maybe there was quite a bit of that, that they realize if I don't have to do it, then I don't want to do it. And that might be, you know, 90 minute train journeys each way on a train where you can only stand. It, it might have been uh, a work environment where it wasn't conducive to creative thought or problem solving or even just getting work done because it was too noisy or disruptive. Maybe it was the benefits they found from being at home, even though it wasn't the best place to get work done. They appreciate the increased focus they're able to bring to their personal lives while doing that work because they they don't have that long commute or they're able to give focus to their family or whatever it is. For one in five of these people to not have anything to look forward to, I think that's quite an indictment um, of of the workplace for, for so many people. I think it's also an opportunity to change the workplace. So mm. if we have 20% of people who are not looking forward to it, it's really worth asking ourselves why. Because one, it might be personal preference, but there might be small things that we can change in the workplace so that those people do at least are okay with coming back. So I think that's another opportunity. It's not just that we don't, you know, it's not just an opportunity not to have to go into an office, but also what is the workplace for? What are offices for? And maybe the way in which we've been using our office for the last 10 years is not the best way now. And there can be lots of things we've discovered that we've done better at home, that by tweaking the space, the physical space, or our behavior in the space, we might actually find that second wonderful place we can work in. I, I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> uh, we're in violent agreement here. But I, I, think, I think this is a, a great perspective to take that people will have, some people um, will have realized that there's a, a way of working that, that is a better fit for them as an individual. And so for employers to ask people how they'd like work to be arranged, you know, within within reason, obviously. Mm. But going back to eight hours of meetings in cramped rooms every day, uh, set up in really cramped, you know, desks, and, and it, it's not for everybody. Uh, and I think this opportunity is one 
not everything can be done immediately and there's no magic wand here, but maybe opening the dialogue for what the workplace could be like. Carrie mentioned it last time, you know, that meeting people's social needs. For some people, that that is true, but for many, it's not the, the only social uh, outlet they have, but maybe there's the belief that some things are done better face-to-face, -face, some things are done with everyone in the room, you know, what's the evidence? Yeah. <laughs> and maybe it's because you're familiar with it. And uh, maybe if you gave other methods a try, you might realize that it doesn't require everyone to be physically co-located. Uh, and will this open opportunities for people to work in a, in a more flexible way in geographically um, speaking? So they don't even have to be anywhere near this hub, this office, but can do great stuff and live somewhere that it, it really, really suits them. Yeah, and it's the opportunity to revisit the whole concept of flexible working again, um, because it could be that now that we know that the office can provide us a better space for X, Y and Z, we might want to be sometimes in the office, sometimes not. We might decide that actually we don't want to be working five days a week and can we do our work in a different way? So episode 21, listeners, if you're a new listener, <laughs> uh, we have a, a whole episode on ma uh, making flexible working work. And it really is reminding us of that, of, of what are the good things that we can do if we adopt a more flexible approach. And, you know, before we go any further, again, I, there isn't one way of being flexible and yeah. <laughs> i think it uh, there's an opportunity for for employers and employees to bring a bit of creativity and a bit of flexibility to the flexibility uh, conversation that it can take so many different forms and people have realized during this lockdown disruption that actually there's a, a routine they can create for themselves that is a great fit for them and it doesn't need to disrupt other people's work you know I think there's a lot of anxiety about losing that when they go back to that physical workplace. Yeah. And that's something I wanted to move on to, actually, about some of that anxiety, some of that worry that people might be experiencing when they know that there is an impending return to that shared physical workplace environment. I'll put this in the show notes, but the British Psychological Society has released uh, a new guide uh, all about this topic for dealing with stress and anxiety related to a return to the workplace. Um, and there's a, a nice document you can download. I'll put the put the link in the show notes. But I, I came across that on social media a while back. Various people in my network were, were sharing it. And I think the more employers and employees that can read that, the better. But Apart from from the examples in there, there's several reasons I think you could feel a bit of apprehension about returning to the physical workplace. And Pilar, you mentioned one of them already, which is about going out there, getting on public transport and dealing with crowds if you if you work in a, a town or a city and exposing yourself to, to what you could see as um, some health-related risk. I mean, that's going to be preying on at least some people's minds right now, especially if they're keeping an eye to the press and seeing how the, the COVID numbers are, are going up and down in, in various places. So yeah. even if it's nothing to do with your job, you might be just worried about getting on a bus or a train for the first time in, in six months, maybe. My main source of news, which is my husband at the moment, <laughs> was telling me that uh, uh, people in London, that there was a, a small percentage of people in London who were going back to the office, to the office space. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's got to do with the tube. 
And the fact that uh, journeys are so long, that they can be uncomfortable, that they can be seen as unsafe. And I think that is a big, big one. It, it is. And I've, I've seen it and I, I'll, I'll dig them up. But I, I saw a couple of examples in the HR press recently about organizations trying to encourage people to come back to the workplace. Here in, in Canary Wharf, where I am at the moment, a couple of the larger organizations here were, were trying to be creative about it. But there's a risk there that they'll inadvertently, um, uh, you know, focus on people who can come back to the workplace and, and inadvertently discriminate, discriminate against those that can't. So it's something to be, to be borne in mind that it's not just that you, you're willing and able to come back to the physical workplace. Maybe there are factors that prevent you from doing that. And if you give something like one of the examples was, was free food. If you give free food to people who come in and you don't offer the same to people who don't come in, there's a form of discrimination that could be, um, could be explored there and they might be opening themselves up to some risk. But, but even if I'm very bullish and, and positive about getting on the tube and believe me, I, I'm not, I've been out on public transport over the last couple of weeks, but that, that's a, a separate story. The change to the routine can be upsetting. I might now have bedded down into a really nice, what works for me, daily work routine. And now you're asking me to maybe get up earlier, start that, that journey in earlier. Uh, I mightn't be able to go for my lunchtime walk. I mightn't be able to cook a nice meal for myself at lunchtime and I'll be back to having a sandwich out of a plastic packet. That kind of thing can add up so that people are definitely not looking forward to it and, and maybe feeling quite negative about that because they can see what's being detracted from their experience of the working day. And I think what would be nice would be if the day you've described would be something that is absolutely normal. <laughs> but but I'm thinking, well, you know, someone could say, well, that's not real life, you know, going to work means blah, blah, means not cooking your meal. And I'm thinking, well, actually, it really, why not? Why not? And I think we've been for many years saying, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. You can have, you can do a great job. You can be a great worker, a great team member and still have all the things that as an individual you need. So, yeah. It, it, you, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm fortunate enough, I think, that my career has taken me to so many places yeah. internationally to do work that I've seen how you know, for example, you know, lunch need not destroy productivity and can involve people sitting down with plates and cutlery and having a meal and not quickly taking 15 minutes to inhale a pre-made sandwich um, and, and not leave the building at all. You know, I think there can be a very fixed view of what the workplace entails and the kind of suffering you need to put up with. And yeah, why not be able to have a nice meal during the day? Why not being able to get your exercise? Uh, why not have a mix of being in the office and not being in the office and maybe focus on the outputs rather than the time I can see you. But of course, there's been some commentary in the press as well about, and it hasn't been that thinly veiled either, about job security. Mm. And the inference is, well, if you get back into the office, you'll be more likely to keep your job. The people who don't, oh, they'll be standing out a little bit and maybe when or if there's job losses, it might be the people at home who are more at risk, which is on so many levels um, an incorrect argument, but it's the kind of thing that could um, stoke that anxiety and that worry about your job security and put you in a very difficult position about having to go back in when maybe that it's a fear-based decision 
rather than something that's practical. Yeah, I was. I had a conversation once with uh, Eva Rimbau uh, and from mm. Spain, and she was saying that 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 uh, perception that you need to be present in the organization uh, organization's premises to be able to have uh, to advance your career to job security that that was one of the things that was probably holding back the Spanish population pre COVID from working from home or doing remote work. So I think yeah, that's a hopefully that will change a bit, but I think that. But in order for that to happen, a lot of stuff also has to happen in the infrastructure of communication in organizations and all kinds of stuff. So, but yeah, but it, it's interesting that you bring that, you bring that up. Yeah. And it, it's a, it's a point made in the BPS document as well, actually, that those kind of concerns about the change that's going on in your organization and if there have been job losses that you might have some anxiety associated with that. So it's, it's very real for, for many people. And even if you are feeling very positive about your well-being, you may well be worried about inadvertently spreading a disease to people who are vulnerable in your life. And, you know, by going into a big city like London or Manchester or Edinburgh, you know, and coming out to the suburbs in the evening, what, what are you bringing home with you? And of course, it, <laughs> The, the, the advice has been changing over the last six months such that it can seem a little bit incompatible, you know, be safe, don't do this. But at the same time, please go back to work, <laughs> you know, and, and in order to do that, you need to get on a train with a load of strangers, breathe their air, possibly touch them inadvertently, and then go into this, this workspace with people where, yeah, absolutely lots of, lots of jobs require that physical presence. But for those of us that don't, do we really need to add to the numbers? You know, do we really need to be out there filling up public transport? I would argue that your key workers who must be there in transport, in healthcare, in security and so on, they really need that space. But, you know, I'm, I'm potentially in a minority. I'm not running an investment bank and I'm not running a newspaper, so I don't really have that much sway on it. But I can see it from the the point of view of, of your average employee who said, hold on, hold on, you, you asked me to lock myself away just as I get used to all of this. You're saying, no, no, support the economy, get back out there. It's fine. Whereas an hour later on TV, you see, well, it's, it's not fine. You know, and you can't guarantee my well-being either, which is your focus is then on the risk. Yeah, and we've had the, you and I have had the conversation about supporting the economy, whose economy and where. Because I'm sure I've got a, so from my window I can see a little coffee store. I think it's mm -hmm. called Coffeeology. So I'm not sure if it's part of a chain, but it's relatively new. That coffee shop was open during the lockdown for takeaway. They did really, really well. That is a local coffee shop. The other ones, and so the people who maybe usually get their coffee when they come out of the tube in the other end in London, maybe now they've been getting their coffees from there. So mm -hmm. I think that, and and we've all done different things. <laughs> I think to say that there is only one way of supporting the economy, yeah, I have issues with that too. And I, I don't think anyone got up in the morning and said, you know what, in the middle of the pandemic, <laughs> I also want to bring down the economy, yes. you know, on purpose. I want to cause a, a, a recession. But, but you know, it, I'm kind of being lighthearted about this. But at no. the same time, these things prey on people's minds. Yes. And it all adds to that. So, you know, I'd really encourage people to download that, that BPS document. It's got some great guidance for employers and employees. And as you mentioned earlier, Pilar, there's a lot about communication in there. 
communicating regularly, uh, clearly, and in both directions. You know, if as an employee, you're not sure about something, ask. If you've got concerns, speak up. If you can make a contribution to, to these changes, you know, volunteer. Uh, it can't all be done to say that the, the middle managers and organizations getting squeezed by both sides. But I think there's some broad principles that it could be very useful for employers to think about uh, during this return to the workplace uh, period uh, for those people who are making that return. Um, and again, like you would have when people were working at home is try and separate the focus on the output from the time spent in the work uh, place. You know, pe people can get great stuff done and maybe they're coming back with some efficiencies. So don't return to those old habits of how, how many hours have people put in this week, rather how much good stuff has been done, created, problem solved, whatever it is, the outputs. A focus on that can really help change the dialogue from one of where work is done to how work is done, how well it's done. Uh, now that does require a mindset shift and it's not easy for everyone who's supervising or leading a team, but it is possible and we see it in, in organizations that are doing it and have been doing it successfully for quite some time, way, way, way before this pandemic hit the workplace so hard. And that is a very good way of making sure that you're not treating people differently who are coming into the office from those that are not. If you're mm -hmm. really focusing on on those outputs, I think, yeah, that's a very good point. And there's a, there's a very broad point here about communication. You said it earlier about being proactive around communication. I think this works at all levels though, doesn't it? We've had, we've had conversations about the importance of the social chat um, to help at the team level and, and, and give people an opportunity to talk about their perspective, but all the way up to considering how you communicate team-wide and company-wide announcements and to make sure that there's a channel that works in both directions there. It's not just top-down announcements, but an opportunity for people to get clarity, to maybe have a dialogue about certain things and to maybe adapt some of that to the needs or maybe not even the needs, what works for people so that you move away from a, a one-size-fits-all. Th there's another thing that I've been saying a lot. I've, I've done an awful lot of webinars over the last, especially over the last three months for, for clients, some, some new clients as well, around well-being uh, when working at home, um, building resilience for the next six, nine, 12 months. But one of the things I've been trying to stamp out has been uh, the belief that there's some kind of change curve that everyone goes through. And we, if we could just plot that, we would know where everyone was and we could predict it. But there is no straight line from A to B. There's no curve that everyone's going on at the same time. There's no evidence-based journey that you can predict that everyone's going to go on. So team leaders, managers, organizational leaders, maybe to have some patience and to see that adaptation to change through as many different lenses as possible. What works for me, what's happening to me, uh, what works for you, Pilar, and our colleagues, A, B, C, D, E, we're all going to be adapting to this in different ways. And I suppose the one thing that I would really underline is just because I'm feeling okay about this, it doesn't mean that my team are feeling okay about this. There may be personal circumstances, stuff going on in their heads that I don't know about and they're not speaking about. And I can't assume that it's okay for everyone just because it's working for me. 
That's a really important point is that constant communication about what is working for different people and just that awareness, because uh, there could be many people who are even in the team uh, who are happy to be still working from home and some people don't want to be. So just to take a very simplistic uh, thing. Mm. Uh, and the same way, there might be some people who are thrilled at going back into the office space, but there might be people who are really struggling with that. Uh, and I think it, it's okay to be feeling any of that. Uh, and I think it's, re but it's really interesting to have a space or a forum, just some way of checking in, checking in with each other. Mm. And, uh Exactly. And to be, to, to have some kind of conversation that is open and exploratory rather than, are you okay? Are you okay? Mm. Yeah, I just want to hear yes, you know, yes. something a little bit deeper than that. And, and also to acknowledge that I might be fine today, but tomorrow I'm a bit worried because something happened in the news, something happened in my family, maybe something has sunk in overnight. And so I'm not having a great day today. And it might, you know, without wanting to worry anyone, it could be some small adjustments make all the difference. There might be some people who could benefit and they'd be back in a flash if they could just say, can I come in after rush hour? You know, yeah. could we say that my working hours start at 10, maybe 10.30? And, you know, with this flexibility, I'll give you my all. I just cannot face getting on a rush hour train. And that could make all the difference for someone. Um, and, and I'm sure there's lots of small adaptations that people could take advantage of, but we need to start that conversation somehow. And making that workplace a place that people want to, to get back to, I think, based on that, that, that survey data that I mentioned earlier, you know, if, if there's such a sizable chunk of people that have nothing to look forward to about this return to that space, well, what could be done with that space to make it a place that you have something, something to look forward to? It, it doesn't need to be your second home or somewhere where you want to spend more time than at home, but at least you've got something to look forward to. And, and I think that is a reflection on maybe how the, the workplace, um, as something that is intentionally designed has maybe suffered in recent years, um, in, in the face of other pressures. Yeah. And we talked about this, uh, two, three episodes ago about asynchronous work. You know, we have the technology, but that doesn't mean we're going to use it. Well, it doesn't mean we're going to use it in the way that it was intended. So maybe to have a bit of reflection time on the technology that's available to you as a team, as an organization, and how to make good use of that to facilitate this flexibility, this location independent work and asynchronous work so that people who want to work with a slightly adjusted set of hours can have that full and acknowledged contribution and maybe aren't the outliers anymore. And so we need to make that distinction between the system you buy and the culture that you support in the organization. So that's a great opportunity I see for people who've been doing great stuff in, in the home to bring some of those tips and tricks into the workplace and say, see, it, it works much better when you do it like this, rather than going back to, well, this is what it was like six months ago. Now, meeting, 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 all in the same room. Let's pretend lockdown never happened. 
<laughs> Sorry, I almost interrupted you. Um, uh, yes, episode 66, Richard, is the one. Oh, thank you. Synchronous. And I think that we, we talked about it mainly in the, I think, in the context of location independent. But as you've mentioned, setting up systems of asynchronous communication mean that people have more flexibility with their hours also and their schedule. And that's where we can really embrace how we're working, but make sure we're still working well together. So... Yeah, if, if you haven't looked at asynchronous communication uh, yet and having some really simple ways of communicating with each other when you can uh, or when it best suits you, I think that's a really, um, yeah, that's a really, uh, that's another opportunity. And it just requires that conversation, doesn't it? And to, mm. to be explicit about how communication can work and how collaboration can work and how systems ideally should be used. Um, and maybe it's given some organizations a great insight into the, the tech they had that they didn't realize could do so much for them because everyone was co-located and not really using it to its, its full potential, a potential until lockdown happened. Can I be very specific about one thing, which maybe, maybe many, many listeners are wondering. So Microsoft Teams is not just a meeting platform. It's got all sorts of things within it that you can communicate asynchronously. So sorry to give Microsoft the plug, but mm -hmm. I, I think this is one thing I've been, I've been seeing. And it's a great example. You know, we associate a tool with one thing and we use it for that one thing, but we don't realize how much it could do for us uh, because, well, for one thing, what is our job? Is our job to to be an expert at all the systems that are given to us without much instruction? And, and how do we learn how to use these systems frequently? It's because of the person next to us shows us how to do something. So there's an overarching piece here that goes back to this working at home experience was done in a bit of an emergency. Ideally, we'd want to train people how mm. to use these systems the way they were designed and not kind of figure it out as an extra piece of work because that's led to a lot of anxiety and people feeling bad about not knowing how to use these or not using them well and making kind of faux pas, making errors while working remotely. That's needless, especially now. You know, if we, if we could draw a line and say, look, from September onwards, we've got a lot of lessons learned. Let's see how we could do this stuff better, even if there's an awful lot of work happening in the physical shared workplace, how can we do it better based on what we've learned over the last six months? So maybe we'll we'll wrap it up there because there's, a, there's an awful lot in that. I would really like to issue an, an open invitation to our listeners, though, to let us know what they think about this topic. Uh, you know, if you're someone who is preparing to return to the workplace, we'd love to hear what your perspective is on all of this. If you are already back in that workplace and maybe it's full time, maybe it's um, uh, flexible work home let us know. And if you're an employer who's who's thinking about this, we'd love to hear your perspective. And I'd like to make a special appeal. If you've come across anything in the press that's positive about the return <laughs> to the physical workplace, I would really like to read it because as far as I can see, and it might be an insight into what I read, but you know, the, there's quite a lot of negativity and worry associated with this. So if there's some good news out there, I would love to spread that and make it available to all our listeners. 
So show notes for this episode and all the episodes before um, can be found at uh, worklifesack.com slash podcast. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at mypocketpsych or send us a longer message via the contact form at worklifepsych.com slash contact. And do let us know if we can mention your name and who you are and all the rest of it, or we'll simply anonymize that message for you. But we do love to hear from the listeners because we know you are out there. So Pilar, anything to add before we wrap up today's episode? Just to encourage listeners to get in touch with their examples of how they're getting on, because the more we hear from different people, I think it just makes the conversation richer. So, so yes, do, uh, feel, feel free to get in touch. Fantastic. Thanks, Pilar. And thank you all for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.